0: Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi,
1: I'm Kevin Godby.
0: And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today.
1: Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete.
0: And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There, you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should.
1: We are a weekly podcast with new episodes coming out every Tuesday afternoon, which you can listen to Whenever you feel like it, because it's a podcast, then hopefully you'll subscribe and give us a good review on iTunes or wherever you like to listen.
0: On today's show, Kevin and I will be discussing the dichotomy of pumpkin pie. Our guest today is Corey Ryan from Centerpoint Meats and Provisions, supplier of high quality meats and specialty foods to some of the best restaurants in town.
1: Corey will take us behind the scenes on how Centerpoint helps restaurants maintain quality while controlling cost. And we will find out which local bistro, hint St. Pete Beach, requests the craziest exotic specialty items like brains.
0: After that, we'll play our music segment, open our lunchbox, share our tip of the week, and have a gluten-free wrap-up.
1: All of that is coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. So grab a snack, pour a drink, and relax while we serve up the show.
0: Been to Anada lately or at all? My best friend was just recently in town, and I took her to all of my favorite places, and she proclaimed Anada as her absolute favorite. They're known for their great wines and cheese and charcuterie, but I am in lust with the entrees and specials Chef Josh dreams up. I finally got to try the short rib bolognese, and it was fantastic. The M3, which is a mushroom and truffle risotto, is nothing short of sensual. Next time, I want to try the charred octopus arabiata pasta. We have had the octopus appetizer and it's amazing, but this pasta sounds nice and spicy, just like I like it. You really must go to Anata.
1: Anata Restaurant & Wine Bar is located at 300 Beach Drive in downtown St. Petersburg. They open every day at 4 p.m.
0: You really must go to Anata.
1: Since Thanksgiving has already passed, a lot of you, it's too late for this information.
0: Right, but Christmas is coming.
1: But Christmas is coming, yeah. So pumpkin pie, this is from actually the Wall Street Journal. They put this out right before Thanksgiving, but we're recording after Thanksgiving. So pumpkin pie has a secret. No pumpkin. <laughs> Purists say bakers using squash are out of their gourds. Oh, God. <laughs> so here's, here's the quick little intro story. Monica Bass blames her pumpkin pie fiasco on one thing pumpkin. A few years back, a friend gave her a delicious looking orange pumpkin just ahead of Thanksgiving. An avid baker, Miss Bass decided to bake a pie from scratch. She carved up the gourd and softened it in the oven, added sugar, blended it into an orange puree, and baked it in a thin flour crust. At dinner that night, she bit in and instantly knew she'd blundered. The pie's texture reminded her of an overripe banana. It was full of fibrous strings, which made it very unpleasant. She says her brother refused seconds, an ominous sign. My big takeaway was that cans of pumpkins were worth it, she said.
0: (laughs) But it's really cans of pumpkins?
1: Right. Reading on from the Wall Street Journal. Over Thanksgiving, Americans' love affair with the pumpkin invariably leads to after-dinner catastrophe, said Stella Parks, author of Brave Tart, Iconic American Desserts home bakers get it in their head that this year they're finally going to make a real pumpkin pie from scratch, starting with their very own pumpkin.
0: What what I don't understand about this, sorry to interrupt you there, is did they not Google anything? Is there not anything available on the internet to tell them not to use real pumpkin?
1: Well, as of this point, we didn't Google it either.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. But how do you just all of a sudden decide you're going to make a pumpkin pie from scratch and not look anything up?
1: Yeah, and by the way, uh, listeners, send us your favorite pumpkin pie recipe, either the recipe or a link to it. At, you can send that to info at stpetersburgfoodies.com. And so furthermore, this invariably leads to disaster because field pumpkins taste disgusting, stringy, watery, and bland. Canned pumpkin filling tastes better, Ms. Park says, but it has a dark secret. It is made from a sweet gourd with yellowy-orange skin known as the Dickinson pumpkin. Ms. Parks and others argue that the Dickinson is no pumpkin, however. They call it a squash. If dropped off in a field of Dickinson pumpkins and asked to identify the crop, the average American would probably guess some kind of squash. Parks, who describes herself as pro-squash, has called pumpkin pie a big lie. I like that. That could be like a tagline. Pumpkin pie, the big lie. <laughs> Libby's which says it produces about 80% of the canned pumpkin filling sold in the U.S., would like to squash such ideas. Our Dickinson pumpkins don't look like the traditional carving pumpkins, said Allison Baker, a Libby spokeswoman. On the inside, it's all pumpkin. It has a reputation as the king of eating pumpkins. It doesn't eat pumpkins. That would be cannibalistic. (laughs)
0: That's a little crazy.
1: So, the Food and Drug Administration has taken a no-pumpkin, no-foul position on the question. Since 1938, we have, this is a quote from the FDA. Since 1938, we have consistently advised canners that we would not initiate regulatory action solely because of their using the designation "pumpkin" or "canned pumpkin" on labels for articles prepared from golden-fleshed sweet squash or mixtures of such squash with field pumpkins. The FDA said. In recent years, a debate has raged through the internet's culinary quarters, pitting pumpkin purists against backers of the pie world's underdog filling. While all pumpkins are squash, not all squash are pumpkins, said Judy Jernst, a plant science professor with the University of California, Davis. She notes that consumers' image of the pumpkin transcends the science. Many things, pumpkin spice lattes, for example, are pumpkin in the imaginations of consumers only. If you add enough molasses and brown sugar and nutmeg and cinnamon, you can probably make cardboard taste like pumpkin pie, she said. Right. And save money using cardboard. Yep. At San Francisco's Mission Pie, baker Kristen Rubin admits she will be serving up a light and sweet deceit with the 750 pumpkin pies that she expects to sell this week. About a quarter of the filling in her pumpkin pies will be winter squash. Ms. Rubin believes that baking the pumpkin pie out of field pumpkins alone is a fool's errand. I couldn't just go to Joanne's Pumpkin Patch and pick up some pumpkins and make good pumpkin pie, even though I'm a really good baker. That's nonsense, says Katherine Hansen, a competitive baker from Orlando, Florida. Yeah, nobody here is surprised that she's from Florida. <laughs> the odd character's always from Florida. Right. Last year, Ms. Hansen placed second in the pumpkin pie category of the American Pie Council's annual pie-making contest. She credits her finish to a secret weapon. Pumpkin. She makes her pies out of orange, jack-o'-lantern-worthy gourds, not squash. The squash set simply hasn't ever had properly prepared pumpkin, she says, which must be oven-roasted, skin-side up, peeled, and then pureed. I'm sure those butternut squash fans appreciate it, but they're getting swindled if they want pumpkin, she said. I hate squash, she said. That's the truth. Of the 21 pumpkin pies that competed against Miss Hansen's entry at the Pie Council Bake Off last year, None of them called for fresh pumpkin in their recipe, according to Linda Hoskins, the industry organization's executive director. Ms. Hansen feels that, quote, true pumpkin bakers like herself are on the outside, but she's okay with that. I've never, ever been the hip popular kid on the block, she said. Despite squash's renaissance, the pumpkin brand remains a juggernaut. The Pie Council is firmly closed to the idea of renaming its pumpkin pie category squash pie. Uh, yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think Shocked. that would go over well. Shocked ball. to hear that one.
1: <laughs> so much of the pie mystique comes from traditions. Traditionally, we know of it as pumpkin pie. It's a big American icon in Thanksgiving, and I wouldn't want to change it in any way, whether it's squash pie or not. Ms. Hansen f- felt burnt by the fact that her rum-infused pie, which she calls It's Me Rumpkin Pie Savvy, a Pirates of the Caribbean reference, was bested last year by a squash based pecan coconut pumpkin pie baked by a culinary rival. But she just does find some solace. I know that because mine was true authentic pumpkin, I technically beat him, she said. This year she came back and won the contest with her at the stroke of midnight pumpkin pie. The real pumpkin reigns supreme now, she said. Woohoo. That's what she said.
0: Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> so let us know what you think about pumpkin pies based on what this article says, probably most of them are or squash, yeah. 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 So let's see if we can squash that rumor. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> so we'd love to hear your thoughts, too. You can send us an email at info at PetersburgFoodies.com, leave a comment on our webpage at com, or comment on social media at any of our uh, sites on Facebook or on Instagram. <music> Welcome back to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Our guest today is Corey Ryan from Centerpoint Meats and Provisions. Centerpoint is the only family-owned commercial butcher in Pinellas County, and they supply several of the local restaurants around here with high-quality gourmet food products. Welcome to the show, Corey.
2: Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, Corey. Hi.
0: So, Corey, why don't you tell us a little bit about Centerpoint and what you all do around here?
2: So, we are the last of the family butcher's commercial left in Pinellas County. There's a few in Tampa, but we cover this area. We are right across from Tropicana Field on 16th Street South. We have a USDA inspector on site every day, and we cut to order every day and ship out the next day.
1: Wow, every day. That's pretty pretty impressive.
2: impressive. Well, I'm sorry, Monday through Friday. Well, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. but yes. um, Yes, please take the weekend off. (laughs) And that's why I work for these uh, lovely gentlemen It's owned by two brothers named Todd and Dan Reese. Mm -hmm. Their father did it, and their grandfather did it. Uh, Not the same business, but they were in food service. Mm
1: -hmm. Right, it's like four generations, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It started in Pennsylvania, then they had three different distributorships down the East Coast, which finally evolved into today's current business in St. Pete.
2: Correct.
0: And that was started by their father?
2: By their grandfather.
0: Centerpoint was by the Grand uh, No, I'm
2: sorry. Centerpoint was, was taught, just started by Todd and Dan. It started off as a business called uh, Pinellas Meats, which some chefs around here will remember. And it was very basic, to say the least. You know, it was just old school. You know, it was like French fries and ground beef. Right. Uh, and they've kind of turned into more of a specialist, a specialty provider of Wagyu, Prime, Heritage Pork, gourmet cheeses, some nice, uh, you know, seafood. Mm-hmm. They've really come a long way. They've changed the name to Centerpoint, I think, about three years ago. Okay. And I've been with them for four years. Before that, I was a chef locally mm-hmm. for quite a while, I think about 13, 14 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I had to have a bit of a change of pace.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They, they luckily were, were that change for me.
0: So That's great. Pe-
1: because you had a baby, you were telling us earlier, off air.
2: Correct. So, yeah,
1: because yeah, a, a chef's schedule is...
0: It's grueling. Yeah. <laughs> to say the <laughs> to least. To say the least. Yeah.
1: yeah. Now you got nights and weekends off.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with myself for the first, you know, really for the first year. I was like almost in shock. Change of schedule completely. You're, right. You go from staying up till 2 a.m. and waking up at 12 to, you know, going to bed at a normal time and having sociable hours once again. So, and right. going to family events and holidays. And it's, it's a big change.
0: Yes. I can imagine. So. Mm-hmm. You said locally, were you ever here right in St. Pete?
2: Well, my second official job ever at, at 16 was at Fresco's. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Yeah.
0: How long has Fresco's been around, I wonder?
2: I don't know, but I was there, it was there when I was there. I graduated high school in 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, I attended uh, P-TECH in Clearwater for their culinary arts program, mm-hmm. and I was part of the dual enrollment program there, so I did half my time at high school in Clearwater High and uh, the rest of the day at P-TECH. And great program. If anybody has kids in that age range, mm-hmm. definitely look into it.
1: Awesome. And any of our listeners out there, if you do know how long Fresco's has been around, please call 1-800-WE-DON'T-HAVE-A-PHONE. This is a <laughs> pre-recorded show you can't call in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're a goofhead. <laughs> but you can email us or something. Yeah. A couple years after that, I worked at the Vinoy. Mm-hmm. I've been at all the major hotels at Sand Pearl um, and Innisbrook as well up in Palm Harbor. So.
1: And I'm sure that really helps a lot in your, your current responsibility. You really understand how the restaurants work, the ins and outs. You know, you know what's going on behind the scenes and how they really work and what their challenges are.
0: And how they think about costs and, and weighing out purchases and stuff like that and, and buying things. Correct.
2: And that's kind of the reason why I was hired because <laughs> right. I had zero experience in sales or as a uh, sales rep. They knew that I had empathy for chefs and that I had, uh, you know, I knew what time they were there and what time they weren't there and how to talk to them and how to kind of break down that barrier because that's the tough, the tough part for real.
0: Right.
1: I learned something new just uh, reading the website earlier about the, uh, is it called uh, the portion control mm-hmm. cuts? And first I'm thinking, is it if you're on a diet? No. <laughs> yeah. It's so they know that that steak, that menu item, is always going to be consistent. It's going to be the same size and shape and cut, and it's always going to cost the same. Correct. And they don't have waste to worry about what to do with.
2: Mm -hmm. Or labor to do that, portioning. Mm -hmm.
0: I read that too, but I I guess I never really thought about it. So do some restaurants actually buy and cut themselves in the restaurant as opposed to having things delivered to them in portion sizes?
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. if you have a good good knife hand, we Mm -hmm. should say, and you have the time as a chef... Totally do it. Mm -hmm. But if you want to trust your butchers, which Mm -hmm. mostly people used to do, we can cut it to, let's say you want a six and a half ounce pork chop, Mm -hmm. pork loin, let's say that. And you want it five in a pack Mm -hmm. and you want 20 packs in a case. Mm -hmm. We can do that for you. Right. So you can really kind of tailor it to what you're looking for and what your menu uses, not just, okay, let's cut it on the fly. And that leads to, you know, miscuts and inconsistency. inconsistency. Right. Mm Right. Which, which affects costs. Absolutely. You know, back in the day, a chef would get a whole chicken or a whole salmon or whatever and break it down himself. And that was the, the old school way of doing it. But with innovation now and, you know, vac packaging and, and mm-hmm. this kind of stuff, it's kind of a no-brainer. Plus, with the cost of labor and the inc- inconsistency of labor, you could have a bu- good butcher for one week and then he'd go somewhere else the next week and you're back to having the busboy cutting your steaks. So right. it's,
1: and the restaurant scene around here is becoming more and more competitive. You know, we, we get all excited and celebrate all the new restaurants opening, but the current restaurants are like, okay, great, another restaurant. To compete <laughs> with.
2: It's, yeah, quite saturated. Yes. <laughs> but yes. we have a lot of people coming here, so. We do.
1: So you guys are not just steaks and pork chops or some of your specialties, but you also have cheeses, specialty products, poultry. I'm, I'm interested in the, in the specialty products.
2: <laughs> Yes, uh, we have uh, tons of game meat, and whatever we don't have, we can get. Those are the items that have quite a price tag on them. Mm -hmm. But if you make them correctly and you charge correctly, then you can make money off them. One of my good customers, uh, Solo Bistro, they will ask me for some extraordinarily crazy stuff, like horse, (laughs) snails, brains, all the afal or innards they love. Mm -hmm. So I usually can't find half the stuff they're looking for, but we always (laughs) look.
0: (laughs) That would be Tig and Artem. Yep, yep.
2: Great guys.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they are great guys. Yeah, we noticed, um, I don't know, it was a few summers back, all of a sudden there were several restaurants downtown that had all this kangaroo and, Mm. you know, just off the... Ostrich. Ostrich, yes, just things that are not normally around here. So were you the supplier of that? Probably. Probably. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) We wondered, they almost have the same supplier, and then they're competing with each other. Who could have the most exotic meats? (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, try to get them to do that
0: again. <laughs> yeah, that, that's
2: fun. Yeah, I'm well, not sure why that popped up all of a sudden because that's kind of around the time I started. And I was like, wow, what, the, the scene has really changed down here. And then it kind of <laughs> died off, all that stuff. But yeah, we did, have it.
0: <laughs> it did die off a bit. Well, mm-hmm. Tony does that quite a bit, though, right?
1: Yeah, grazie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So earlier you were saying that you'd like to clear up some of the common questions about gourmet ingredients. What are some of those?
2: Well, the big ones are you know, steak cuts and and grading. We deal, at Centerpoint, we deal with middle of the road and above is what I could tell customers. So there's a million options out there. There's imported, and there's imported from Canada, imported from Mexico, imported from, we get a lot from Australia and New Zealand. That's where a lot of the game meats come from or some Wagyu or a lot of lamb as well.
1: Excuse me, Mm -hmm. as far as steaks go, how do you decide where your supply is coming from?
2: So a lot of people think of local butcher as you're also getting the cow out of your backyard, um, <laughs> which is I um, stole my cow. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's great to think about in an altruistic way, I guess.
0: Farm to table. Farm to local. table. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: And a lot of a lot of our cows in the nation do start down here as from one from zero to one. You know, they're birthed down here because mortality rates at birth are worse up in the cold weather because they don't survive that. They do best in, in our weather f- for that age range. But then once they grow up, they like, you know, between 55 and 75 degrees. So it's a little too hot mm-hmm. most of the year for, for cows here. And they don't eat right, and they don't put on weight right. And it's, some guys are doing some great local stuff, but it's, it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm.
0: So they're
1: like cow snowbirds in reverse.
2: Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's like me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we get most of our stuff from the Midwest. Iowa, Kansas City, I'm sorry, Kansas. We deal with mostly choice and prime. And the way it works is select is below choice and you won't see too much of that in, in retail. And then choice is in the middle. It's the majority of beef and you'll find a lot of that publics mm-hmm. and you know your local chains. And then prime is your upper three to five percent of in the nation. And that's, you know, based on the marbling alone. Right. So the problem is, is that it's just based on grade. So if you have a Holstein cow, which is a milking cow, which is done milking, and they send it off to the feedlots and now it's ready for production as, be- as a, you know, an eating cow,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it can grade really well. It could just be genetics or it could be eating more than the others or, you know, who knows. Um, and it could grade out to be a choice product.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So. You can run into that. You you know, publics could carry that. I don't say they do, but anybody can carry this stuff and call it choice, technically. Mm -hmm. So when you get into food or restaurant-grade quality, you know the consistency is there because we know what packing house it comes from, what time of year, you know, everything about it. What time of year it was slaughtered. We can control that much better.
1: So is it safe to say that a steak that you're going to get at a restaurant is... Most likely a higher quality than what you would generally buy in the store.
2: For the most part, yes. But at the end of the day, we're dealing with live animals. And one animal is different than the animal next to it at the feedlot. So you just never know.
1: And the grading, it's not like they're ta- like, here, cow, take this test. We'll see if you get a hundred <laughs> to get an A. I've never seen anything in, a, in the store that I always see grade A. I never see grade B or no, C. No, but they say choice.
0: It'll say choice. So they say choice grade
1: choice
0: beef.
2: So choice mm-hmm. is like average. Yes. Um, choice is, is really good. Choice okay. is really good. And prime is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And select is just average. And then there's stuff underneath that, like no roll, which means when they go through, they don't even put a stamp on it. They just say, you know, put it in the dog food pile. Oh, <laughs> right. And there's canner, you know, there's, it, there's like seven different ones under, under select and you don't even want to go in that, that realm. But that's what you can get into when you start dealing with imported. And, you know, that's the problem is that as a chef, you want to start with the best. Mm-hmm. So you go, oh, I'm going to do a prime steakhouse mm-hmm. or I'm going to do prime steaks on my restaurant menu. And then you look at the cost and, you know, you say, all right, we'll go down to choice. Mm-hmm. And then maybe something happens in the supply chain and the choice goes up. You go, oh, we'll go down to select. And you just kind of get comfortable in, in this world of, Let's let's buy for cheaper and just put some more sauce on it and make it taste better. Right. But in the end, of the, at the end of the day, you're going to lose in that battle. So just, you know you want to stick with consistency of uh, of grade, pretty much.
0: I agree. I'm not a person who wants to order a steak with a bunch of sauce on it. Mm-hmm. I want to taste the meat and I want to know how good that steak is by itself. Yeah. So I typically, if there's a sauce that comes on it, I order it on the side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then I can tell the difference.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yep. And again, through innovation, you know, they've really gotten great with you know sires that they have to produce these great offspring and they've really kind of narrowed down the gene pool to make you know great <laughs> great cows right so.
0: right so i had a quick question because you mentioned how when the cow's born or the mm-hmm. it's a calf but right did i say that right it's a calf, calf, yeah. calf yeah. yeah okay anyway so they like warmer temperatures so do they try to have them all born like do they have a time with it that they're making sure the cows get pregnant so that they're all born at the same time
2: you know i'm not i'm not sure about Kinda that kind
0: of like a harvest yeah <laughs> but with cows <laughs> okay
2: cows go have sex
0: <laughs> down, make love. yeah but i mean it's a, it's a question because you want them born in the summer mm-hmm. so they survive because you don't want them born in kansas city in the winter
2: yeah um i'm not sure that's uh, so unfortunately i usually
0: research now i'm interested <laughs>
2: The vice president of the company, uh, Dan Reese, he's like the guru, mm-hmm. and I, I usually defer to him. I don't have him here today. I wish I did, but right. they, I'm sure they kind of just go off the natural cycles, but it's usually perfect temperature down here for, right. for that.
0: Right, Down here, down but here. you said most of your stuff comes from the Midwest, which it's where it's not. Correct, so,
2: so a lot of them are born down here and then shipped to I the Midwest. I see, okay. Yeah. That mm-hmm. would make sense. Yeah,
1: oh. I got that the first time.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, I'm blonde, sorry. Be a little slow.
1: This is a good spot for us to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
0: You don't say ham, you say spam, spam
3: is real spice, ham. You don't say ham, you say spam. You don't say ham, you say spam, spam is real spice, ham. You don't say ham, you say spam. When you want to serve delicious meals for your family, you don't say ham, you say spam. You don't say ham.
1: We are back talking to Corey Ryan from Centerpoint Meats and Provisions here in St. Pete. So, Corey, when you're dealing with your restaurant accounts, now you have the prior experience of being a chef, working in a restaurant. How much of your prior experience and knowing how they work, what happens behind the scenes and what their challenges might be, how much of that comes into play and how do you utilize that past experience in doing the best for the restaurants?
2: Our big job out there is educate and to get the products into the customers that they actually need, not just they want. And sometimes you have to be a little harsh and say, maybe that's not the right option for you.
1: Right. So it's an educational and also kind of a con- consulting type.
2: Correct. Of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just depends on the chef of how much they're willing to accept or listen to what you have to say. But we are always in, have them in our best interest because the longevity of the restaurant... Is good for us, it's good right? For,
0: good for every, everybody. Everybody, yeah. yeah,
1: right. So they know what's going on in in their own restaurant, but they might not know of a, some new trend that's coming up. Correct. And you want to at least make them aware of it, so they don't miss it, and they can maybe see if it will work for them as well.
2: Yeah, and a great example of that, again, through innovation and through you know cold supply chain and 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 whatnot, is um, chicken breast. A lot of what you see out there is what's called random chicken. Chicken breast. Random chicken? Random chicken breast. Some
1: random chicken came up to me and said, hey, check out my breast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is getting darker and darker. Oh, now. boy. No. Um, <laughs> the whole chicken market is driven by wings. Because, right. Right? And, and I've heard that before.
1: On maybe a couple of years ago, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal where they were saying that there, is a, there was a shortage of wings.
2: Yeah, I remember that. There really isn't. But what there's a shortage of is jumbo wings. Everybody wants a jumbo wing because you're not allowed to use any antibiotics or steroids in chicken at all. In any chicken in the U.S. you have to feed them a lot and it costs money. So you have these big giant pretty much muscle-bound birds that have big giant wings. But also from that you get big giant breasts and legs and thighs. And for the wings, you get about $2 a pound. Right now, they're up to two twenty a pound, which is, you know, a good amount of money for a bar food.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And for the breast, they give them away for about $0.99 cents a pound. It used to be the other way around.
1: Wow, well, because there's this surplus of the other parts of the chicken correct, being created because everyone wants jumbo wings. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Now, if you're going to do like a shredded chicken dish for tacos or, you know, smoked uh, chicken leg quarter, it's great. But if you want to grill chicken breast, you have a turkey breast pretty much that you're trying to grill. And one side is much fatter than the other, and so it takes some work to get to a a ready-to-grill product. So what most people do is they buy these random chicken breasts because they are cheap, and they have their labor, cut them down, take the fat off, pound them out, marinate them, do all this work to make them taste good and be tender. A couple of years ago, you saw the woody breast syndrome. If you ever me- remember hearing about that,
1: no. I missed that one.
2: <laughs> the breasts were literally, no matter how, what you did to them, pounded them, marinated them, they were just like chewing on wood, chewing on, on a muscle, pretty much.
1: And we don't know of any culture that enjoys that.
2: No, <laughs> yet. What we've really started pushing, what I really started pushing in the last two years, because I didn't even know about it when I was cooking, were these portion control breasts that come off naturally small chickens, or they call it a natural fall, where it's, you know, anywhere from six to eight ounces. And it's literally, you could pound it with your hand, and it'll go down to level as with the rest of the breast. So you don't even have to use a mallet.
1: So they're already starting very tender.
2: Already tender. You can, and, and they're already trimmed. So you can just put some salt and pepper on and put them on the grill, and they're going to be delicious. And that's where we need to come in, bring samples, you know, ask, hey, chef, what are you using? Well, I use random. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Well, I have these chicken breasts. They are about, you know, double what you're paying now, but you're going to save labor. You're going to have no problems with customers and you're going to make your job a lot easier. So, and that's just the tip of the iceberg with things that we have like that, that can really help a lot. And some people think, you know, we're coming in and just trying to sell an expensive thing to them. But what we're trying to do is actually save them money (laughs) and headache.
1: Right. When, when you look at the overall situation, like you said, late, extra labor costs and still you have to work twice as hard and you don't even know if it's going to help enough.
2: Correct. Right. And you have somebody that may not have a very trained hand trying to butterfly a chicken breast. Then you got to portion it. you got to know what to do with the scraps. So I tell chefs a lot. The other big thing is uh, beef tenderloin. Mm-hmm. I say, Chef, let me cut them for you and I'll pack them for you. No, no, no I do that. Okay, well, what do you do with the scraps? Well, we put it in soup or we put it in stock and, or make burgers out of it. OK, so you're using $12 a pound scrap pretty much to make soup. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Now, some guys have gotten very creative with it and, and found ways to, to make it edible, but you know, with a tenderloin, you have a, a chain on the side of it, which is very tough. Uh, it's, all, it's all sinew and, and it's very tough to get any sort of meat out of there. So when you look at it on paper, our price of tenderloin is like, whoa, I can't afford that. But again, you really can. (laughs) You really can because it's going to be consistent and it's going to be ready to use. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah, you can just start seasoning and cooking. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And going back to the chickens for just a minute. So now do you have suppliers that just raise the smaller chickens now? Correct. Suppliers that raise the large chickens basically for the wings?
2: Yes, and some do both. You know, some some do both but um we and 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 that's kind of our mo is that we just find what chefs and managers like the best and we stick with that just based on the aggregate consensus or whatever that they say that they like we stick with those and so when you ask us for a six ounce chicken breast we have one provider of that if you ask a bigger i won't say any names but you ask a bigger you know conglomerate you see the trucks all over the place, you say, let me get a, some chicken breasts. Mm-hmm. Let me see what you have. Let me see your price sheet. They will give you 12 to 15 items and say, take your pick. And it's like, there's not really much education there. There's no, you're just looking for price at that point. So if you take your pick of the best price, you're probably going to lose that, that acquisition.
0: Right, right.
2: That makes sense.
1: Now, we, we've been talking about beef, pork, and poultry for the most part, but you guys also supply seafood and cheeses as well.
2: Correct. We've started getting more into seafood lately. We just do frozen, which a lot of, you know, mostly all shrimp now is frozen. We're yep. looking at.
1: We just recently learned this. Somehow I was miseducated that frozen is bad. <laughs> but we were listening to another podcast and it was Bon Appetit. Maybe, don't hold me to that. No, and they had, they had a seafood expert on and he was saying, frozen is fresher than fresh <laughs> because they flat, flash freeze it right there. Immediately, yeah. yeah, correct. So I just wanted to put that out there. Frozen is not bad, actually.
2: It's not bad. And as a chef, I will say fresh is always better. I'm not going to try to cover that up. But yes, they are. I mean, some of these boats now, like the, like the cod that is used by McDonald's, they are catching it processing it on the boat, which means they're scaling it, cleaning it, filleting it, and then freezing it on the boat. So it's it's very, very fresh. Mm -hmm. Shrimp, you know, most of that is harvested in Indonesia, India, Thailand. And the big thing you have to look out for that is the chemicals that are in there. They pump them full of phosphate which uh, makes them look bigger and they weigh more and it's a uh, preservative pretty much and we deal with you know just chemical free so we again we don't have a big list but those stuff that we do have is is the upper choice.
0: And so how do you determine like are these farm raised are they wild you know there's a that whole thing that comes up these days.
2: Yeah mostly everything now in the seafood world is uh, farm raised and it just depends on what they're feeding them and where they're keeping them you know so like a salmon, for for instance, uh, the Chilean salmon is warm water, kept in pens. People, you know, don't really care for that too much. Uh, one of the reasons is they have to dye that flesh to make it look like salmon, because if they didn't, it would be gray. Whereas, like the Norwegian and Scottish salmon, is farm raised. Um, some of it is wild caught still, but mostly it's farm raised. It's a magnificent product. I mean, they really take care up there, and, and it's cold water too. So. I would suggest that all day. With, um,
1: so when they live in the cold water, they have naturally reddish oranges. I the, think the, that's the more color. Of a,
2: more of a feed thing, because that color comes from maybe whatever krill or whatever they're eating. Whereas, uh, the cheaper you go, you know, some of these places are feeding them corn. Oh <laughs> and wow. It's like, they're not supposed to eat corn. Salmon don't eat corn. Yeah. That makes no <laughs> right. sense. Yeah. But it's, totally it's cheap. It's Yeah. And you can make a lot of it.
0: Let me get some corn-fed salmon. <laughs> this is the
2: most ridiculous thing ever. And that, that's why, that's mm-hmm. why, you know, uh,
1: flamingos are pink because they eat pink shrimp. Correct. Uh, and I'm not saying we should eat flamingos. I'm just saying.
0: I don't want to turn pink, honey.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't eat the flamingos, so turn pink. Oh,
0: God. Anyway, um, so you also have cheeses and... You want to talk about that a little bit too?
2: Yes. Um, so we have, you know, standard American sliced cheese if you need it. Um, we have Swiss and provolone, but we also get into the gourmet world. And, and that is more of a special order stuff that we can get within a couple of days.
0: You do imported from overseas?
2: Yeah, we can get from all over the, the world. But actually, two years ago, I got to go up to Green Bay for a cheese um, symposium, if you will, right. the, and do a the, great the training. The U.S. capital of cheese. Yes, and beer drinking and eating a lot of food. And cheese heads. <laughs> and cheese heads, yeah. <laughs> and the people are super nice, and, but man, they party like it's the end of the world. I mean, it's, it's crazy. They, and they just got voted like number one beer drinking, uh, I think, state or, or city.
1: <laughs> go Green Bay. Go Wisconsin. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we, we, <Oops. laughs> we stayed right outside of uh, Lambeau. And this was in May, so there wasn't any football going on. But right. you could just tell the whole, the whole city revolved around that, that stadium. But we got to go to a couple different, you know, we got to go to the Belgioso plant, one of theirs, and see the mozzarella being made and the provolone. And um, we got to go to a couple of, of very craft, you know, small makers. And it was very educational, um, very, very cool.
0: What was the biggest takeaway?
2: Biggest takeaway was how much... Milk it takes to make one pound of cheese. Really? Mm-hmm. It's about 8 to 10 pounds, depending on what kind of cheese you're making. Wow. Or gallons, I'm sorry, 8 to 10 gallons. I was going to say 8 pounds? to 10 yeah. gallons <laughs> to
1: make one pound of cheese?
2: Yeah. yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's is a, a lot.
0: lot. Yeah. <gasps>
1: Go cows. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cows seem to revolve around all of this. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yeah, we'd really be missing a lot of stuff if there were no cows. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, that, and that's what I like to tell people a lot of the time is that, you know, chefs are great. They do great things, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to the farmer and the animal and getting that to the chef as quick and fresh as possible for the best price as possible. And that's going to keep quality up and price down and people happy coming back to your restaurant.
1: In addition to that, you, you guys also offer the service of menu consultation. Is that correct?
2: Yes. How does that work? Like, does what would the be sales event?
0: rep do that? Or how sure.
2: That Some of us can. Mm-hmm. Some of us will just, like, again, defer to... The, um, upper management for that. I was kind of brought on because I can really help with that, mm-hmm. and it's mainly just looking at trends, looking at again what's going to be profitable, not just look good on paper, and pushing some boundaries sometimes, and and you know trying new things. You know, unfortunately, in St. Pete or in Florida in general, most people are looking for grouper. <laughs> at least people from out of town. Mm-hmm. You know, they come in, they're like. Grouper, grouper, grouper. You know, you're running into the same problems with. uh, I just read an article in Charleston, where all these great chefs are, and they're fighting with the owners because they want to do like octopus, right? And the chef and the owners like, no, you do shrimp and grits because that's what's selling. So it, it, you know, there's always a battle between chef and owner. Right.
1: So people that go to Charleston are looking for shrimp and grits. Yes. People that come here are looking for grouper. Yep. We we actually we just uh, came back from Charleston. Nice. It, it, It was awesome. We we ate a lot. Yeah. <laughs> As we normally do.
0: And cabinet a lot of strip and grits. Yes. But uh, he, cool. he does that here too. It's yeah. not like it's a Charleston right. thing. But anyway.
1: Corey, thank you so much for being with us and all of the really cool info that we didn't know about. Yes. So restaurants listening out there, if you're not already dealing with Centerpoint Meats and Provisions, check them out.
0: Thanks, Corey.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, Corey. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
0: Welcome back to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Our music segment, which showcases local artists, is brought to you by One Step Media and Kate Reuter. One Step Media provides management, marketing, and booking services to independent artists, and Kate herself is also a singer-songwriter.
1: We have Frankie Ray with us today. Welcome to the show, Frankie.
4: Hi, thanks.
1: Are you ready for the Fast Five Foodies questions?
4: Absolutely.
1: Okay, because they're really tough. <laughs> okay. No, no, they're not threes. Well, what's your favorite food?
4: Macaroni and cheese. Macaroni and
1: cheese. That's all day. awesome.
4: That's all day. I'm a fourth grader. Yeah, <laughs> that's a to. great
1: answer. I want some right now.
4: Yeah, any kind. Baked mac and cheese specifically, though.
1: What's your favorite restaurant in St. Pete?
4: Ooh, that's a hard one. Let's see. That's a really hard one.
1: Do you get mac and cheese at any restaurants, or is that I just do, at home?
4: I do, I do. I don't know what a favorite restaurant. I mean, I'm not really picky with my restaurants. I kind of like everything. I mean, I like. I guess Mexican restaurants are fun. I don't know if I have a favorite restaurant in St. Pete. I mean, you know what? That's okay. I've a lot of places.
1: <laughs> because I think that would be my answer too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually like hate it when somebody asks me that question, but we ask it every week anyway. Yeah,
4: I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking, Corrigan's is pretty good. The Irish pub. Mm-hmm. Their food's pretty good.
1: <laughs> and, and you mentioned Mexican also. yeah free, mexican food's Any favorite too. Mexican places?
4: Um, not off the top of my head. No? Okay. Yeah.
1: Salt or pepper? Salt. Okay. Yeah. Lori would like that one. Yeah. She salt she salts everything. Yeah. I put pepper on everything.
4: Garlic salt specifically. I oh, put garlic salt. Awesome. Yeah, I use garlic salt of a of of things.
1: Do you put it on pizza? <laughs> yeah
4: Yeah. Yeah. i, that's, I can, yeah
1: that's what I use it on mostly. <laughs> Okay. How about cilantro? Love it or it tastes like soap?
4: Kind of tastes like soap. It kind <laughs> of okay. tastes like soap, but it's not, I mean, I, you know, I ca- I can eat it. I can bear it, I guess, but it does have a soapy taste to me.
1: Okay. And can you cook? A little bit. <laughs> what, what do you cook?
4: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I mean, a lot of big dishes, you know, stuffed peppers, stuffed shells. I like to make different types of chickens, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that was a bad answer. No, to edit no, that no,
1: out. No, 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 you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. So today we're gonna feature your song, something else, yeah. which I think is in the key of G.
4: Yeah, maybe it's 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 in a really weird tuning, it's but it's key... definitely in the G. It, it's 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 tuned differently, so it kind of that's has a what different... I thought.
1: It, because yeah, it wasn't easy for me to figure out at first because I started playing conventional chords and I'm like, this doesn't sound right. Yeah, because it's like... it's
4: tuned in dadgad, so it's it's in an open tuning. So some of the, right. the chords, yeah. It, it's definitely it's in the G wheelhouse, but you know some of some of the chords in there kind of make it sound a little different. Yeah, I so. heard like
1: like like the the B string or the B note was like the high note on yeah, the first it's, chord. Yeah, it's
4: all yeah, it's it's all tuned differently. Yeah,
1: it's pretty cool. Thanks. So So uh, the musicians are interested in this part, but nobody else knows what we're talking about. So, <laughs> so the lyrics also are kind of a. Fun story that I think a lot yeah. of people could probably relate to if they really pay attention to the lyrics. Yeah. It seems like one where the, uh, the heart wins out over the head.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I try to stay away from love songs, so I try to make them not sound too sappy. So this song, it was about a specific situation, but I did kind of try to branch it out and make it a little bit more vague to where it was more relatable to people. It's basically you're in a situation where you really shouldn't be with this person and. It's probably not the best idea to start a relationship with this person, but you just can't help it because you like that person so right. much. And it's kind of me just throwing my hands up and saying, all right, let's see where it goes. Let's just have fun with it. You know, forget everything about love and let's just go with our instincts. Yeah, I think
1: that happens a lot. <laughs>
4: yeah, absolutely.
1: So before we play the song, we can find you at frankieray.com. Mm-hmm. That's F-R-A-N-K-I-E R-A-Y-E. ecom yeah. And definitely check out the site. There's some really great info on there. There's some cool videos. Yeah. And the video, the promo video is really fun because you kind of talk to the camera and then we see you do part of a song and then you talk to the camera again. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So check out frankyray.com. Anything, any shows coming up?
4: I I pretty much play shows every night around the Bay Area. So I have my live schedule on frankyray.com. I know in January I'll be going to LA doing some things out there. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Also, in January, I have the new album coming out, which I'm really excited about. Awesome. It's called Brave. It's going to be released. There's not an exact date in January, but it's going to be the week of like the 20th, somewhere around there. Cool. So, yeah. Awesome. Excited. <laughs>
1: well, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for the Fast Five Foodies questions. Uh, thanks for having me. And here we are with something else.
5: I'm nervous, not sure how to put this, but you're all the right things at the wrong time. If it wasn't for your immaturity, and if it wasn't for my wisdom, this would never have stood a chance. But maybe we can wait all night to decide if this is right or if we should just keep this thought away. And I've heard you wish for secrecy but I rather us be brave and we can make it out of this okay Ooh, You know I'm not turning back again this time because you're everything you're everything and can you give me something else to make sense of this the mess of this is a part of the game But you have Tonight, And your words on my song Forget everything I said about love And let's be wrong At the time I felt empowered Most worthy of your attention I was never one to settle for less Your authority was respected And my intentions were pure But I guess I didn't think this through all the way and maybe I take after my mother You know she always used to say to me Damn our wild hearts And I've heard you wish for space But I'd rather us be close And let our own wild hearts take us away mm, You know seem come a little closer now This time Because you're everything, you're everything eh? Can you give me something? To make sense of this, the mess of this, the part of the game. But you have something else And your beauty and your brilliance on my kryptonite, and your words on my song. Forget everything I said about love and let's be wrong. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I'm not what you need. I know I know I know I know now what you're Tonight and you words on my song forget
1: Once again, that was Frankie Ray with something else. When I'm feeling like tacos for lunch and I want to be sure that Lori will say yes, I just make sure I say Takosan. It's an interesting name. Kind of reminds me of like if you had a Japanese friend that was named Tako. Konnichiwa, Takosan.
0: And to me, I just want to go, Takosan, everyone, everybody, Tacosan. <laughs> They do have the best seasoned and best tasting tacos at really reasonable prices.
1: Yeah, I got the uh, barbacoa, that's the shredded beef, and the conchinita pibil, which is the shredded pork.
0: I had the asada, which is steak, and barbacoa, and I like uh, flour tortillas as opposed to Kevin. Yeah, I like, well,
1: sometimes when I have tacos, I like hard hard corn tortilla, but uh, over at Taco Center, I like to get the soft corn tortillas. And I mean, the the meat is so flavorful over there. It really is. Some of the best seasoned meats. And yeah, like Lori said, prices are really good. And we also discovered a hot sauce. They have, this is a, they have their own hot sauces that they make, which are very good. But then there's also a uh, commercial one, a jarred one called Valentina Salsa Picante. And we liked it so much. We took a picture of it to remember it. And I ordered it on Amazon
0: today. Yeah, it was really good. Our Lunchbox segment is where we read opinions and answer questions from our listeners. Please email us at lunchbox at stpetersburgfoodies.com with your opinions, feedback, and questions to be featured in this segment.
1: Last week's show was extremely entertaining, talking with uh, Erica Benstock from Il Ritorno. So if you missed it, it's definitely worth it to go back and check it out. News uh, for this past week, new post on stpetersburgfoodies.com. We have a review of the Latin Lunchbox food truck. We have another review of a new place, the Greenlight Bar, a sushi review. They have some great sushi over there, so check that out. Another news item is that a C on the 400 block of Central Ave, is reopening on November 30th to become Luna Loca, an Asian-Latin fusion restaurant. We also have a review of the Cassis Bakery. And a programming note. In addition to iTunes and Stitcher, we are also on Google Podcasts for anyone that doesn't have an iPhone, and we are on Spotify as well. So if you prefer any of those apps over where you're listening now, there you go.
3: This is Chris
1: So we are done with Thanksgiving, and you know what that means. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Black Tuesday, Cyber Tuesday. It's all like kind of, you know, it's not really down to those two days. Although Lori already has 90% of her Christmas shopping done, I will in a panic get mine done around the 21st or 22nd, starting and finishing at the same time. But here's some of our foodie uh, for our tip of the week, our foodie gift ideas for some local shopping. There is Kalamazoo, Olive Company. They're at 449 Central Ave, obviously the 400 block of Central. Kalamazoo is really cool. It's, it's almost like a, like a little wine tasting room. They have the little barrels. You get like a, little t- like a tiny little shot, and you can try all these different olive oils that are all different types of infused, extra virgin, and tons of great gift ideas for the uh, foodie in your life. And yeah. get something for yourself, too, while you're there.
0: Yeah, they are a Tampa Bay's original olive oil tasting room. Yeah. They've been open since 2010, so...
1: Yeah, and they do have uh, not just olive oil, that's their main gist, but they also have uh, all types of balsamic vinegar and other uh, goodies.
0: Yes, locally owned by James Ryan.
1: Then there is the Savory Spice Shop that's at uh, 400 Beach Drive, and they're, they're in a little from Beach Drive. It's a whole complex there. They have all kinds of amazing spices to cook with. They have spice mixes, which are really cool. Yeah. I mean, I, d- I did an Indian recipe from our website. Uh, it was a masala recipe, and I just had to buy... One jar that had the a dozen different spices in it that I needed. And they have all these places have great gift baskets. They put together little gift packs that make it easy for you. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to study the entire inventory of the store. And there's also, I mean, Himalayan salt blocks. That's always a fun one.
0: Kevin bought me one of those one year for Christmas. Yeah.
1: We even use it a few times.
0: Yeah. (laughs) There's
1: also uh, Vom Foss. They're at 300 Beach Drive, which is also a whole big complex. So they're actually on the corner of uh, First Ave. Right. So Vom Foss, they have all kinds of oils, vinegars. They also have spirits and wines. What's really cool about Vom Foss is not everything, but it's like 90% to 95% of the items they carry, you can only find there.
0: Right. And I think you said that backwards. It's Third Avenue and First Street North. Yes. Sorry about that. Yes.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Like I said, and they have all types of, Liquor, liqueurs. Mm -hmm. uh, And you can
0: taste them all, too.
1: Yeah. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Buzz shopping is the best. (laughs) There's also Mazzaro's, which probably everybody around here knows about with all kinds of gourmet foods and cheeses and whatnot. But they also, in addition to Mazzaro's that everybody's so familiar with, right next to it is Casa de Mazzaro, where they have all types of uh, kitchen items. and
0: Specialty teas, loose leaf.
1: Yeah. And then... Last but not least, we have Locale Market. They are in Sundial, right in the heart of downtown St. Pete. All types of gourmet foods, sauces, caviar is always a really fun gift. Just make sure you keep it cold. Right. That's our tip of the week for some local foodie gift-buying places. Thank you for listening. Thanks to our guests. And thanks to our sponsors. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News, and our intro music is provided by the Chris Walker Band.
0: We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on Saint PetersburgFoodies.com.
1: If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other podcast app, please give us a rating, and also remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until, Until next time, time, may your food be hot
0: and your bubbly cold.
6: love. I'm having a relationship with my pizza. You look like you're breaking up with the pizza, what's the matter? I can't. I mean you can't. This is pizza margarita in Napoli. It is your moral imperative to eat and enjoy that pizza. I want to, but I I've, I've gained like ten pounds. I mean I've got this right here in my tummy. you yeah, know, this what's call it called? What's the word for it? A muffin top. I have one too. I am in my jeans like five minutes ago, just looking at this. Let me ask you a question. In all the years you've ever undressed in front of a gentleman? Hasn't been that many. All right, well, has he ever asked you to leave? Has he ever walked out, left? No, because he doesn't care. He's in a room with a naked girl. He's won the lottery. I'm so tired of saying no and waking up in the morning and recalling every single thing I ate the day before counting every calorie I consume so I know exactly how much self-loathing to take into the shower. I'm going for it. I am no interest in being obese. I'm just through with the guilt. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna finish this pizza and then we're gonna go watch the soccer game. And tomorrow, we're gonna go on a little date and buy ourselves some bigger jeans. Giovanni likes
3: a muffin.